Well, good evening. Would you turn in your copy of the Scriptures to Revelation chapter 5? Revelation 5, if you're using the Pew Bible, it's on page 1221. We continue this glorious scene in heaven that we began last week in chapter 4. Revelation 5, verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp with golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked. And I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voices of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing." And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Let's pray a final time, asking for God's help in this text. Heavenly Father, in many ways, we could say amen and go home, and our hearts would be edified, given the glorious picture 
of the slain lamb and the praise that erupts in heaven over his work of redemption. And yet, Lord, we are here and we desire to go deeper and we desire to see this picture. We desire to see the Lord Jesus Christ as worthy. And so be with us in this hour. Open our eyes to behold wonderful things in your law. May we see the slain lamb as worthy. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In John's gospel, after giving us the the prologue that asserts Jesus' deity and pre-existence, eternity, he gives us the ministry of John the Baptist. And early on, we're told that, that Jesus is passing by, and John the Baptist says of Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He calls Jesus a lamb. That might be a strange thing to call someone as you look at a human and you say, here is a lamb. What was John's point? John's point was Jesus was going to give himself like a lamb as a perfect sacrifice and atone for the sins of his people. And it's only by looking to him that you can be saved and your sins forgiven. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In much the same way, John the Apostle in chapter 5 is is sort of acting like John the Baptist. He uh, writes for us this glorious picture of Jesus as the slain lamb. And as it were, was saying, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so as the preacher of this text, that's my goal tonight, is to lift this slain lamb before you and to say, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And maybe you're here tonight and you've never looked to that lamb. You can tonight. You can look to him and be saved. And and for most of us in this room, we have looked. We have believed. But the exhortation is the same. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Look again and again and again and see how wonderful, how awesome, and how worthy this slain Lamb is for our worship and praise. As we saw in chapter 4, it's a vision of God on his throne. We mentioned that it was, this language is very static. It's very stationary. God is not moving. He's on his throne. He is established. Yet it is, it is filled with moving imagery and glorious pictures of who God is and the worship that surrounds his throne. As we come to chapter 5, it shifts that it's much more of a drama taking place, that there are movements and and there are lots of things going on. It is not a static picture like chapter 4. And that's intentional. And and that is bringing us into the beauty of apocalyptic literature. As one commentator writes, John slows down the story so that readers feel the drama. 
using repetition to underscore the significance of the events recorded. John could just merely say in a didactic way that Jesus is the Lamb who was slain, or he could give us this glorious picture of the Lamb coming and receiving a scroll and the drama before and after that and the the, the praise that erupts to this Lamb. And so we're going to move through this passage and feel uh, this drama as, as John uh, leads us. And so uh, for our first uh, scene here, we have the sealed scroll. Verse 1, I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. We have God on the throne. Uh, we, we see that he is holding this scroll in his right hand. And the right hand is a, is a symbol of power and of judgment in the Old Testament. One text here. The Song of Moses here in Exodus chapter 15, verse 6. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. So God's power is, is here. So God, God is in control and he is holding this scroll. This is a scroll. It's not a book. It's, it's what is, uh, this is, this is a book. Uh, the scroll would have been rolled up. And we're told that, that it's, it's written on both sides. That was unusual for a scroll. Usually it's written on one side, and, and the reason is because generally scroll, scrolls were, were made of, of papyrus reeds that were then pressed together, and so they would write on the, on the side where the, the reeds uh, went horizontally, and so it was more difficult to write on the other side. But, but it's not uncommon for a, a scroll to be uh, written on both sides. It's just not normal. And I think the reason why we have it written on both sides is because the Old Testament texts that I think are being alluded to here have the same imagery. Turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 2, if you want to. We saw last week that John borrowed from Ezekiel chapter 1, and now in chapter 5 he's going to borrow from Ezekiel chapter 2, and specifically in verse 10 where he's given a scroll. In verse 9 it says, chapter 2, verse 9, When I looked, behold, a hand was stretched out to me, and behold, a scroll of a book was written, was, was in it. And he spread it before me, and it had writing on the front and on the back. The same imagery, inside and outside. And there were written on it words of lamentation and mourning and woe. And so in a minute when we come to uh, what is the contents of this scroll, this passage is going to be significant. A second text there, you don't have to turn there, but Zechariah 5, verses 1 through 3, we get a vision. I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, a flying scroll. And he said to me, what do you see? I answered, I see a flying scroll. Its length is 20 cubits and its width 10 cubits. Then he said to me, this is the curse that goes out over the face of the whole land. For everyone who steals 
shall be cleaned out according to what is written on one side, and everyone who swears falsely shall be cleaned out according to what is on the other side. So we have a scroll written on both sides. And so these are obviously, I believe, in John's mind as he's writing this. This scroll is sealed with seven seals. Normally, uh, uh, not every scroll was sealed, but if it was, it would be rolled up. A string would be wrapped around it, and then some piece of, of clay or even lead would be put under the, the, the string, folded up over, and then some sort of signet ring would be pressed. And so if you wanted to open the scroll, you either had to cut the string or break the seal or damage it in some way to get it open. And we're told that, that this scroll had seven seals. We've, we've met the number seven a multitude of times already, and we noted its, its perfection, its completion. It, it's signifying here, I think, that this scroll is secure. There's no ability uh, to open this. It, it's sealed. So what is it? That, this scroll is the opening image in this scene. It's, it's going to play a central part. We have, we're going to see the scroll appear later. Uh, as it's as judgments come come in chapter six, so what is the scroll? What is the contents of the scroll? And as you can guess, there's a variety of of opinion of of what that is. Some think it's the Old Testament scriptures that are now coming to a fulfillment. Some believe this is the scroll of life, the book of life that that is the names of the redeemed. Some believe the contents of the scroll is, are, are the uh, future events that are coming in, in the book. But I think more likely is the view that, that it is a book containing God's plan of judgment and redemption. It's a book containing God's judgment and redemption. We saw this in, in our Old Testament passages. Ezekiel, it's, it's filled with lamentations and mournings and woe. And what is Ezekiel doing? He's prophesying judgment And yet Ezekiel also prophesies of of redemption amidst his judgment. And, 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 And when we look at Jesus is worthy to open the scroll, and why is he worthy to open the scroll? It's because he was slain. So we think, uh, we believe it has to do something with redemption. And yet as the scroll, is, the seals are broken in chapter 6, we see judgment, but we also see salvation for God's people. So we have here a book of God's plan for judgment and salvation. So its contents is vitally important. This is the plan of redemption. If it can't be opened, the plan of redemption can't happen as it were, in the drama. So that's the sealed scroll. Secondly, now the search for the seal breaker. In verse 2, a mighty angel, or a strong angel, uh, came proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals. Now, it's important as we enter this picture, it's sort of like you're watching a movie and you know the end, 
and, and there's that part of conflict that you don't know is going to be resolved or are they going to die or, you know, you know, but you're still caught up in the drama, in the moment. I think we're to be, we know Jesus is worthy. We know he, he's accomplished, but let's be caught up in, in the drama here. So the search goes out. Who's worthy? We've we got to find somebody worthy to open the scroll. And if no one is found worthy, there is no hope for redemption. There's no future vindication. There's no reward for the righteous. And there's no judgment on sin. And we're told after this initial search for one worthy that no one was found on heaven, in heaven, on earth, under the earth, was able to... to open the scroll, or to look into it, probably meaning to see its content. No one in the heavenly sphere is found, no one in the earthly sphere, living or dead, is able to open the scroll. And this is devastating to John. He weeps. Says loudly, maybe he weeps Greatly, he weeps much. He didn't just shed a little tear. He's weeping. Now, is John just a little bit of an emotionally fragile guy who cries at everything? I doubt that. This is a Galilean fisherman. This is one of the sons of thunder. And yet here he is, weeping. As no one is found worthy. This is consistent of often in apocalyptic imagery in the Old Testament. The, the prophets are caught up. And they're seeing these glorious things and they are just emotionally overcome. Daniel will see visions and then fast and pray uh, and just be totally uh, overdone. Or they fall down. I think Hendrickson has a good comment here, a little bit long, of, of just, why is John weeping? You will understand the meaning of these tears if you constantly bear in mind that in this beautiful vision, the opening of the scroll by breaking the seals indicates the execution of God's plan. When the scroll is opened and the seals are broken, then the universe is governed in the interest of the church. Then God's glorious redemptive purpose is being realized. His plan is being carried out and the contents of the scroll come to pass in the history of the universe. But if the scroll is not open, it means that there will be no protection for God's children in the hours of bitter trial. No judgment on a persecuting world. No ultimate triumph for believers. No new heaven and earth. No future inheritance. And so John is seeing this. No one's found. And he weeps. And so I think it's important to get caught up in this in the drama here because we gain greater praise for the one who is worthy to open the scroll when we stop and think well what if what if there was nobody worthy how devastating that would be so that's the search for the seal breaker thirdly here the slain lamb is worthy 
one of the elders comes to John and he says, weep no more. Stop weeping. There's one who is worthy. And who is he? The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seal. There's one found worthy. And who is he? He's a lion. He's a lion of the tribe of Judah. We, we saw this this morning in, in, in Pastor Mitch's message in, in Genesis 49. I'll reread that text for us of the prophecy concerning the descendant of Judah. Verses 9 and 10. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion and, and as a lioness. Who dares rouse him? The, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. So there is this one kingly ruler who is coming from the, the tribe of Judah, and he is a lion, and, and that is the Lord Jesus. Secondly, he's the root of David. He is that Davidic heir, that one that is promised to reign for all eternity. An Old Testament a root to this passage is Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. There, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And so this, is a, this here is slightly different, this shoot this branch from the root, but in verse 10 of, of Isaiah 11, it says in those days, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples of him, shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. And Paul quotes uh, that text in Romans fifteen twelve. So the, the point here is the, the root of, of David is that, that messianic king, the one who is coming to reign forever. And we've seen time and again already in Revelation that Jesus is asserted as, as uh, that root of David, as the Davidic heir. And so, the lion. Interesting, we, we see that John hears a, an explanation of this one who is conquered from the elder. And what does he hear? He hears of a lion. And then in verse 6, he, he turns, uh, he, he, he looks, and what does he see? A lamb standing. So John hears of a lion, but when he looks, he sees a lamb. And we've seen this uh, movement before in Revelation. In chapter 1, John hears a voice, and then he turns and sees. And, and so he describes the voice, and then he turns and he describes what he sees. And it's one and the same thing. So John hears of the lion of the tribe of Judah. He hears of this root of David, but he turns and he sees... A lamb. And so this pattern is important to, to understand because uh, when we, you know, I'll get, this is the more debated. This isn't debated. It's debated in chapter 7 when John hears the number of the 144,000, but he turns and sees an innumerable multitude uh, from every tongue, tribe, and nation. And so maybe 
that this pattern is, is, leads us to believe it's one and the same thing. So what does John see? He sees a lamb slain. Once again, we, John the Baptist used these terms. Uh, what, is, what is the lamb slain? What Old Testament connotations could be brought here? I think there are three that all are working here. First, we have the idea of the Passover lamb, which is offered, which is sacrificed. We, we think of the original Passover. It, was, it shed its blood. It was, it was over the doorposts, and that let the angel pass over. We also have the image of Isaiah 53 of this one led as a sheep to the slaughter, this coming uh, servant who was going to offer himself like a lamb. And we have the whole Old Testament sacrificial system that you need blood sacrifices to atone, to cover for sin. And so here is Jesus. He's standing as slain. He's not dead. But however he is pictured here, we, we know that he is as slain because he did die as a lamb, as, as one who offered himself in sacrifice for sin. And, and furthermore, John says he has seven horns. This is, in, this is why this is apocalyptic imagery of here is a lamb with seven horns, that's a bit strange, but that's, this is apocalyptic literature. What does a horn mean? A, a horn is a, is a power, a symbol of power and honor. We see in uh, Psalm 89, verse 17, we've seen this psalm referenced multiple times already in Revelation. That for you are the glory of their strength. By your favor, our horn is exalted. It's also a symbol of, of, of kingship. We, we think of Hannah's prayer in 1 Samuel 2.10. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. So this is a reference to power. It's a reference to Jesus' kingship once again. And seven horns. He's, he is in complete power. He is the ruler of all rulers. He is the king of of kings. And we're told that he has seven eyes. But we're explained what the seven eyes are. They're the seven spirits of God sent out into all the world. Once again, we have a reference to the seven spirits, which we, we believe is a reference to the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. And so in the work of redemption, the Spirit is then sent out uh, to, to bring that uh, to completion uh, in, in individuals' hearts. And so once again, we see the Trinity in this text of God on his throne. Here is the Lamb. And now we have the Spirit of God. And so John sees this depiction, and then in verse 7, uh, the drama continues. He went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. So now here is this lamb and he comes and he receives the scroll. And what's the significance? He is, it's verifying he's worthy. God the Father has given him this scroll. He is worthy to break its seals. He's worthy to open it. 
Why is the lamb worthy? It's made clear in verse 9. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to God, and they shall reign on the earth. Why is the Lamb worthy? He was slain. And what did his slain do? He shed his blood, and by his blood he was ransoming people for God from every tribe, language, people, and nation. That Jesus, as the Lamb, offered himself up as a sacrifice for sin, that you and I are, are, are under the judgment of God for our sin. We have offended Him. The, the judgments to come in, in revelation of God's righteous wrath, are, are, are we deserve that. And this Lamb comes and offers Himself as a substitute and dies. And that... That death, we're told, ransoms us from our sin. It, it, it saves us from the judgment. It buys us. It purchases us. And note that, that this isn't just for the Jews. This isn't just for one sect of people. This isn't just for one region of the earth. He ransomed the people for God from every tribe, language, and people, and nation. That doesn't mean everybody in those tribes and nations and languages are saved, but some from all of them will be saved. Because Jesus purchased them with His blood. And furthermore, not only are they ransomed, you, you made these people a kingdom and priests to God, and they shall reign on the earth. This text uh, harkens back to Exodus uh, chapter 19, 19 verse 6. I'll just read this for you, where, where God uh, tells the people, you yourselves... Uh, Uh, Sorry, verse 6, And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So here it's it's a kingdom of priests in Revelation. It's a kingdom and priests. I think it's very similar in what they're saying. That we will serve God as priests serve a a, a deity. We we all in Christ serve God. And we will reign. Some There's a debate, is, is this they will reign or they are reigning? And in many ways, it's, it doesn't matter how it reads, but it's, it's the same thing. The fact that if you're in Christ, you're reigning now, but you will reign in the future as well. That we not only are ransomed and redeemed, we, we, we reign with Christ. We, we gain uh, uh, kingdom privileges and serve God as priests. We're told that the Lamb has conquered. We've met that word conquered before. How, how, does, how does the Lamb... Uh, we, uh, conquering is to overcome in the face of obstacles. 
How does the Lamb conquer? Jesus conquered not through military might, not through asserting his power that he had. He conquers through death. He conquers by giving himself as a sacrifice, as being a a, a lamb silently led to the slaughter, and he opens not his mouth and is unjustly put to death. And it is that self-giving sacrificial act that causes this plan of redemption to be secure. It's that self-giving sacrificial act that causes him to be able to reign and put down all his enemies and to be able to save a people for himself. So we're reminded again of the paradox of the Christian life that we, we conquer through dying. We gain life through death. Because that's what our Lord has done. The final scene, uh, scene here is the salvation song, or heaven erupts in praise. I sort of scooted by this a little bit to get to, to the, the Lamb's worthiness. But Jesus comes, we're back in the drama, he takes the scroll in verse 7, he's found worthy. God the Father gives that to him. And, and when he does that, verse, verse 8 tells us, the four living creatures that we met last week, the 24 elders as well, they fall down before the Lamb. They, they are each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. The Lamb comes, takes the scroll, secures His worthiness, and and these creatures, these 24 elders, they fall down and they sing in praise to God. We're told that they have bowls full of incense, and these are the prayers of the saints. In Psalm 141.2, David prays, or the psalmist prays, let my prayer be counted as incense before you. So this is a picture of the prayers of the saints rising before God. Here, this is a, used in worship. Later, bowls are going to be used in signs of judgment. And they sang a new song. What does a new song mean? We, we see this in the Old Testament. And as one commentator notes, in the Old Testament, God's people sing a new song when God intervenes and delivers them, which elicits praise and thanksgiving. And so uh, this uh, new act, this, this uh, progress in redemption, here is the Lamb. He has taken the scroll. He is worthy. That deserves a new song. They say, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. Worthy is the Lamb, verse 12, who was slain to receive blessing and honor and glory and power and wisdom and honor and blessing and and glory. Got that wrong. This time of year, maybe you, you, you go to a performance of Handel's Messiah. You know the final piece. 
Worthy is the Lamb taken straight from here. And so if you know that, you're picturing that. Go home and listen to that. This uh, capturing the glory. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. There's, it was very difficult to pick songs this week. There are so many songs uh, that we sing that are taken uh, from this passage. That in our, Even in our hymn book, the Revelation 5 has the most hymns of all the chapters in the reference in the back of our hymnal. But I think... Uh, I, I think of Handel's Messiah just because it brings that glory, that, that heaven is erupting in praise. So, but it's not just the four living creatures, and it's not just the 24 elders. Verse 11, we're told that around the throne uh, the, and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. So we're, last week we met four living creatures in the 24 hours, and now we see countless, that's the point here, countless angels surrounding the throne, and with these living creatures and with these elders, they're saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. They give a sevenfold praise to the Lamb, and that is not insignificant in this book. And yet the praise grows even more in verse 13 as it reaches a climax. And I heard every creature in heaven and on the earth, and under the earth, and in the sea, and all that is in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb, be blessing, and honor, and glory, and might, forever and ever. And so this scene, not only in chapter 5, but of chapter 4, is it's coming together here in a climax. Because the, the Lamb was specifically referenced, and now the one seated on the throne and the Lamb are mutually being praised together. And they're receiving blessing and honor and glory and might forever. And so if the Lamb receives the same praise as the one seated on the throne, we are right uh, to infer by that, that the Lamb Himself is divine because He's receiving the praise as God receives the praise. So this is putting this, uh, these two chapters together. God as Creator, Christ as Redeemer, surrounded with the praise of all the earth and heaven, giving them worship for their magnificent work in creation, but also carrying out the judgment and redemption of the world. And we're told as this scene comes to a close in verse 14, the four living creatures said, Amen. We agree. So be it. Here is this Lamb who has accomplished redemption. Here is God on His throne. Here is the multitudes of heaven and earth. Praising God and these creatures say, Amen. And these elders fall down 
and worship. What a, what a powerful scene this chapter is. What a, what a moving scene this is. Be familiar with this. Read it often. This chapter makes crystal clear who is worthy of worship. As we go into the rest of the book of Revelation, you'll see all sorts of things that are vying for people's worship. Governments, material things, wealth, money, sensuality, all of these things are vying for worship. False gods, and this chapter in a moving way is making crystal clear, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive our worship. He and He alone is worthy of worship. Leon Morris helpfully quotes bringing these chapters together. Chapters 4 and 5 proclaim in vivid and confident terms that the world's destiny is not under the control of some blind fate. We are all in the hands of a loving Father and Savior who died for us. So if, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ tonight, behold the Lamb. Of God. That as you, you proceed in your life, and the events of your life seem at times to be out of control and some sort of blind fate is haphazardly and, and joylessly guiding your life. As you see chaos in the world and you think that that is uh, it's just meaningless and out of control, remember these chapters that God is on His throne, Christ has accomplished redemption, He is worthy, and He will bring it to completion. And so no matter what, what happens in our life, we can come back again and again to our God and His sovereignty, but also His mercy in the, in the work of redemption and give praise to the Lamb who was slain. And maybe you're here tonight and, and you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior. There is a sacrifice for sin that will give you eternal life with God. Only the Lamb, we're told in this passage, is worthy. There is only one way to a true relationship with the living God, and that is in Jesus Christ. It's not the God of Islam. It's not the gods of Hinduism. It's, it's not the gods of materialism. It is the God of the Bible. And the Lord Jesus Christ is the only means uh, to a saving relationship. And He offered Himself as a lamb. And He will give you eternal life if you believe in Him. So my exhortation to you tonight is, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He and He alone can deal with your sin, your guilt, and your soul, and He's able to give you eternal life with God forever. Worthy is the Lamb.
Amen. Heavenly Father, we've reached the extent of our emotions in this passage. We've reached the extent of human language to describe the worthiness of you, of our praise. And yet I pray, as we have walked through this magnificent scene, showing us this redemptive work of the Lord Jesus, might we see his glory more and proclaim with the angels and the elders and all the creatures, worthy is the Lamb. And I pray that someone, even tonight, would for the first time say that, worthy is the Lamb, and find their life in you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.